Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast set up to raise awareness of and tackle the stigma surrounding mental health, not only in the UK, but around the world. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eve Mapanda. Um, hi, Eve. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm very good. Enjoying the weather. <laughs> yes, uh, some, some of us are built for this, some of us aren't, and I'm in the not built for weather like this. <laughs> I am very much so, and I, <laughs> I want it to last throughout. <laughs> it, it would be lovely if it did last, because it would kind of give the country that feel-good vibe. People will probably be more likely wanting to spend money. So, I mean, let's hope it does last. health as well. Remember that. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a lot better to wake up with the sun than waking up with, like, rain. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, for the listeners, Eve, would you be able to give a bit of background about who you are and the reason you became passionate about mental health? Okay. Thank you for that. Um, so my name is Eve Mapanda. I am founder, um, founding member and uh, mental health lead for Africa Healing Foundation. And Africa Healing Foundation is a, an organization, a nonprofit organization that we and a few other members actually set up during the pandemic, uh, which was at the time, a lot of people would say, you know, <laughs> such a crazy ambitious dream in a pandemic. Uh, but However, we've been so fortunate enough to have been able to bust that dream, which is to be able to provide sustainable, affordable healthcare um, in Africa. Um, we have started in Zimbabwe. And for me, it's my own inspirational story through like the things that I went through in terms of, you know, my dad passing away, us not being able to um, afford healthcare at the time. And it was quite expensive. So we, we seeked out... Um, help globally um thanks to you know things like GoFundMe. so i have first i have first-hand experience um how the healthcare system in africa is flawed and a lot of people you can imagine in underserved communities cannot afford you know the kind of money that is being asked and you know we believe at africa healing foundation that you know um healthcare is a basic need and it should be available and accessible to all so for me, my part where I come in, you know, um, we've got different um, aspects of Africa Healing Foundation, but for today's podcast, I'm just going to concentrate on um, myself. Um, those of you who want to find out more about the organization, you can go on www.africahealingfoundation.org. But for me, I'm going to talk about where I come in in terms of mental health and, you know, I'm the uh, mental health lead. So we are designing a program for um, mental health to bring, you know, first of all, it's about education. We believe early prevention um, and intervention is key. And we're doing that through education. Um, and we're kind of using real stories as well, because I've got my own story that I'm going to talk about later in this podcast. You know, um, really having those conversations around um, suicide, depression, um, you know, what it means to actually have a psychotic episode. So things like that, a lot of African people have not been educated to that extent of understanding mental health because people just always think that mental health is you're crazy. 
So we're developing programs around that. Um, there's more to come. We've got um, anti-stigma campaigns coming up. I'm not going to reveal all in this podcast, but just keep an eye out on the page and you will find out all. So that's me. I'm also a mindset coach um, and I help women, you know, overcome uh, fear, self-doubt and procrastination so that they can step into their power. Because, you know, me being a woman, I think one of the things that we tend to do, I was a single mother before I met my husband, Gary Mapanda. And, you know, um, I, I, ex- I experienced, you know, the depression, the being a single mom, the not being able to put food on the table. So, but I lost my identity through that. And I kind of found it and I found my confidence in really knowing and understanding who I am and to be able to understand that, you know, what, I ha- what happened to me doesn't make me who I am. You know, it doesn't validate me. And I can really achieve the dreams that I had from such a, you know, an early age. And I am doing it all now. And I am, I'm coming all, all, you know, blazing, fired up. And I am, (laughs) you're going to be hearing about me everywhere. (laughs) So, yes. So now I'm teaching women the same, that we don't need to hold back. We've got stories that, you know, are there to inspire the world. And we just need to, you know, let it out and let it shine because even through my story of you know where I um, had a suicidal attempt I'm saving people's life and I feel like you know if I tell my story and I tell it to one person and that person changes their mind about their situation I've done my job so yes that's a little bit about me I could be here all day talking about myself but I'll do it there You are such a tease when it comes to all these things that are being planned, and you like you you draw us in, but then you just stop. One, keeps you like, yeah, it, it, it keeps us guessing. It, it keeps us wanting more. So, in terms about you, Eve, what is your story? Who is Eve Mapanda? Um, so for me, it's um, for my story wasn't always happy, a happy story. Um, I'd be lying if I said that was the case. And maybe a lot of people might be listening to this podcast and saying, oh, you know, she sounds, you know, quite confident and whatever. And I hear that a lot. And I always tell people, first of all, the one thing about me is, you know, I suffer from anxiety. Even when I'm doing this podcast, I'm so anxious right now but I've learned to kind of manage that. And it's something that I've accepted. I spent most of my life, you know, in um, depression um, from a very early age coming in Africa. So we came to the UK around when I was about 12 years old, 11, I believe. Yes, I won't say my age here, but it's been a few years. <laughs> it's been 20 plus years. <laughs> but anyway, um, so when I remember being in Africa and I used to really have... Um, I used to breathe so hard um, in assembly or sometimes I would faint. Um, I would be sweating and I didn't understand that. And people always say that I was um, attention seeking. Um, I was kind of, I, I moved for an African child. I, my, my parents moved me to five different schools and for an African child, that's kind of unheard of. And it was like, I was the named the problem child. And obviously um I didn't understand at that time what was going on with me and coming to the UK, I now became, I think for me, it became even worse because I had so much internalized anger and not really understanding who I was, where at such an early, like, I think at 13, 
14, I was already drinking. I was already just, you know, getting into trouble. Um, I just didn't want to go to school. Even coming to school here, I was bullied. So that even really made things like, I went from zero to a hundred real quick. <laughs> um, so for that, you know, I lived in silence in terms of pain. I never really spoke to anyone about what I was going through. And there was this mask that I had on. And it wasn't until where I just realized I got to around maybe um, the age of 16. And I just realized like, I just don't want to be here anymore. And what, what happened in that moment, I remember I was in my room and I decided to, I'm just going to, before I even carry on, please, I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about suicide. So please, if you feel like, you know, this conversation is triggering you, do step aside from this podcast. I'm going to put that disclaimer in there. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, in that moment, I, I, you know, I, I took, I took quite, I think it was around 30 pills that I had taken at the time. And I just remember passing out. That was the last thing. And I woke up in a hospital. And in that time, I was thinking, why am I still here? I mean, a lot of people would have been like, you know, um, yes, I, you know, it, it didn't work. But I was like, why am I still here? Like, I don't want to. I'm in so much pain internally and nobody can see it. Like, I am crying out for help. My actions are crying out for help. But nobody's seeing it. You know, my parents didn't see it. My family didn't see it. My friends didn't see it. Um, my teachers didn't see it. Nobody saw it. And, you know, for, for my actions at that time, it, people didn't question. It was, you know, this, you know, she's just a bad child or she's, um, you know, society really put labels on me on who I was at the time. And when I woke up, it was like, I was so disappointed. I was like, why am I still here? And it's only in that time when I also um, then, around that time I realized also I was pregnant like um so I'm there 16 years old pregnant and I'm like oh what now what do I do and then it's I always say you know that I always tell people that you know getting pregnant at 16 saved my life and I remember I did a a talk around that I did a um a speaking on speak up challenge and I and I told the story of how getting pregnant at 16 saved my life and it saved my life because through her I found reason to live it it sounds you know um I'm not telling you know people to go out there and get pregnant at 16 no <laughs> I am saying in that situation I found a reason to live and it was it was so amazing and so to to, to kind of feel Maybe for me, it was kind of feeling the love and feeling the acceptance that I was so much craving for. And, you know, it brought so much immense happiness. And through that, I mean, the support of my family was just, um, I think I would have crumbled had it not been the support of my family um, and just them accepting me and accepting me having a child where we know in so many societies that, you know, once a child has a child, you know, you're just basically shined upon. And my family stood by me. Um, that would have, that for me, I feel like was the strongest part for me to hold me together because otherwise I was still a child. I would have crumbled. But I still continued to have um, uh, suicidal thoughts. I was still depressed. Um, 
I was a single mom working all hours, but I never gave up. And it was the resilience for me. It's, it was the resilience that held me together and just, and I took it a day at a time. And I knew that people looked at me and they were like, you know, she's not going through anything, but yes. So, um, so that's who I am. Um, I think I've, have I gone, <laughs> I've gone on like, so yes, I, I, I mean, I grew up, you know, I grew up, I, I, I had a child at 16. I had, um, I had a, um, after that, it was like, you know, I was still, you know, my mental health was still really bad, but I started to look at this bright side of life and I started to really accept the situation I was in and accept that this is my life. You know, I'm a single mom. Um, I started to look at the positive things in life and I started to experience uh, what what it really means to be resilient. So that's a bit, if you want to ask me any more, I can't think anything else. There's so much to my stories that <laughs> you have to ask me, Stephen, to keep me on track. Otherwise, I will take uh, over this podcast. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's fine. I mean, if we now move to the present day and how you are now, you seem to be this very bubbly enthusiastic character you certainly give Gary a run for his money when it comes to podcasts um so uh, I mean do you still have those thoughts now present day or Uh, is it just a case of you've learned how to manage manage it um the suicidal thoughts I don't have them um anymore however I do have um I do get depressed um that's something that is it's been it's now a part of me um it's 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 sort of like and you know when Gary came into my world he kind of had to understand that this is how how I have now learned to cope so he helps me now to kind of know know when um I'm very when I isolate myself because I do isolate myself sometimes because obviously I'm doing First of all, I do a lot where I'm pouring into people. I'm, you know, I'm always talking to people. So I need that time. I'm also a bit introverted. So I, I need time to recharge because otherwise I will just, uh, you know, I will just run, run myself down. And also um, I get to a state, but now I've noticed for me, it's, it's learning who you are and learning the, the person that um, you are. Because I think one of the things that tends to happen, people often block out that this is happening to them for me I've I know that there's a there's a time that comes that I, I get really depressed and I don't know where it comes from it's something that I have noticed I've had it from childhood and it's it's it comes you know it starts very slow but then if I don't you know act on it it will carry on for days it will carry on for days where I'll just be in the room you know I'll shut the um, um curtains I don't want to get out of bed um but now this is what now it normally lasts maybe one or two days because I have learned now okay I'm I'm starting to feel a certain type of way so what do I do I my go-to is the gym as soon as I work out it just whatever was going on with me it just you know it disappears for me it gives me like they always say that you know one of the things if you hear when people talk about really keeping active that is not a lie for me it's 
the best thing, the best thing, even better than medication. That is my go-to. So whenever I feel, I'm starting to feel a bit funny today, the first thing is, you know, go to the gym. And if I got like three, four days and Gary notices or, you know, my kids notice that I've not gone to the gym, they will tell me, mommy, you need to go to the gym because they know I, I train. I don't train for... And I know someone came and said a comment to me on Instagram and I found that was really like ignorant and people need to stop this was, you know, cause I share journeys sometimes when I'm working out and someone came and they said they've noticed, you know, they've been following me for years and they said, oh, you know, you've been working out for years. How comes you don't have a fit body? And <laughs> I was like, I went back and I said, I was like, first of all, I am, I am working out for my mental health. I am not working out to, you know, to come on Instagram and, you know, be someone else that I see on Instagram. I'm working out for my mental health. And I think people really need to be kind and they need to understand that people are battling, uh, you know, they've got battles that other people don't understand. And it's very important in this day and age that we are kind to each other. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I know, the gym was important for mental health pre-COVID, but since we've had COVID and since the gyms had to close for that amount of time, a lot of people suffered because they would go to the gym as a release to work out and it would help their mental health. Hence, since the gyms have reopened, since we're hopefully coming out of lockdown, People are going to the gym more and it, it does help with a person's mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's proven and I, I know they did try and argue for gyms to stay open throughout the pandemic, didn't they? Yeah, um, but, you know, it could have stayed open, but then we also need to look at it um, like this. And um, I think there's one thing that, I want to say, and it might sound harsh, and I'm just talking from experience, and maybe it will help someone. But one thing that made me realize is that nobody's coming to save me. This is my responsibility. My mental health is my responsibility. So what am I going to do? I want to get better. So what am I going to do to, to get myself better? Um, so, it, and even when the gyms closed, I was a bit, I, I did panic, you know, I had, you know, a slight panic attack in regards to now, what am I going to, to do? And I remember even at just the start of lockdown, you know, um, it got so bad, like a week, I didn't work out. And obviously now I was starting to down a, a bottle of wine <laughs> and a day. I'm like, this is not normal. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Just it became a like for a week I was doing that and I realized no I'm I'm going back into that place and you know considering that I've not told the story yet but you know prior to just um like two years ago um my dad passed away so and around the time the lockdown was happening was um also his uh, memorial like the third year so it was a bit it was also trying to handle that as well because I was now getting reminders being in the house because when you go out there's things to do when I'm going to work or when I'm doing this you're outside so this was really hard for me so what I did was 
you know, I started to think, you know, what can I do? And I remembered, you know, um, after I, my second daughter, um, I started working out, but I was working out in in the house. And I said, you know, I'm going to do the same thing. So I went YouTube, <laughs> YouTube. I got on YouTube and what's his name? Um, Joe Wicks, mm-hmm. <laughs> my favorite um, fitness coach. You better big me up. I, I have been <laughs> celebrating that man even before he became famous. Anyway. <laughs> so yes, oh, he, he's like, he's really funny. Um, so yeah, I started doing some, and it's free. It's 25 minutes. So I started doing that. It's, it's quite easy. Um, I love you know working out and when I started doing that I was like hmm, something and so I tried I started now changing it up you know I started now going for running I was doing longer runs um I started going to the park to work out in the park I was um I started going for walks as well so exercise doesn't have to be complicated um that's people people need to realize that you can jump around for 10 minutes and you can get those endorphins going and you can start to feel good so remember that exercise doesn't have to be complicated. That is so true. And if someone is listening to this and they're suffering with depression or they're going through a depressive phase, um, what would your top tips be in how to manage one's depression? Um, for me, I think the first thing is you can't, um you can't solve what you don't know that's the first thing you need to know what your triggers are so um sudden triggers i know i i have and i avoid so you need to understand okay what what is triggering me is it you know past trauma you know i've got past trauma so that triggers me um is it um things that we see it could be um something that you've seen um or experienced, you know, now we live in a world of social media, something, a comment that is, these things are happening on social media um, that could trigger you. Things like, you know, we've gone through a lot of um, BLM movements over the past year since the George Floyd thing. It could be something, a racial thing that triggers you. So understand what your triggers are and why, why are these things triggering you? And from there, you can now start avoiding those things. I don't let anything in my space that will affect my spirit, my mood. Um, sometimes, you know, it's also understanding. I have now, you know, um, healthy boundaries with social media. I don't follow people who don't, you know, for uh, in terms of like positivity, empowerment, that's what I follow. Um, I don't follow people who are out to put down other people. Also, during the COVID, I know we we have to keep up with, you know, the news and whatever. For me, I made a conscious decision not to watch um, news. I don't, I hardly watch news um, because I feel like there's always bad news and I've kept away from that life. So unless someone tells me something is happening, that's the only way I'll know. Um, And also, I think it's having the support system around you in regards to having people who understand what you're going through and teaching those people because sometimes it's not ignorance it's not just ignorance it's sometimes just people haven't taken the time or don't know someone who's been in that experience so for example I give you my husband I've had to teach him you know what it means for me when I have my anxiety and my panic attacks 
um, I've had to teach him when I'm getting into that low mood that can possibly slide into, you know, a long depression. I've had to teach him, you know, what I need to be done. Like I'll tell him if it goes past three days and I've not worked out, get me up, get me to the gym. So you have to be able to, to be open and talk about this thing. But the problem that we are having is people are often hiding what's happening with them. They're often feeling like you don't need to feel that there's something wrong with you just because you're experiencing this. And once we start getting comfortable with these conversations, the people around us will actually understand how to support us and we are not going to feel alone. So that's my second tip, you know, talk about, talk about, you know, with, with your family members, with your friends, people you trust. And thirdly, working out, I can't say this enough, work out, <laughs> working out is your best friend, as in there's something about working out that even, even if it's just getting a skipping rope or going for a run or, you know, or just taking a walk in nature or just even just journaling, I find journaling as well really helps um, to, to journal my, my moods and what I'm feeling. So, and these are simple things, they're free. <laughs> so you can yeah. do it anywhere in the world so yes and google is your friend but not everything in google um every, some some of the things on google you should take them with a pinch of salt <laughs> <laughs> just say, no offense to google <laughs> yeah no that that is very very true um so in in terms of the stigma around mental health how can we tackle the stigma and normalize the conversation around mental health so it's at a level similar to how we all talk about physical health mm. yeah I think the first thing is we, we've started already we've started by having this conversation so if you're listening to this share this podcast it's that, that's step one <laughs> Don't just listen and keep it to yourself. Share it. Um, someone else might need to hear this message. Um, but definitely having more, you know, things around this, like um, the podcast um, and also having uh, places of conversations that people can have and talk about their experiences and also just being open and not being afraid because it has to start with someone and you know, for me, I, I, I know and I believe and that is why, you know, I'm so deeply passionate about the work that I'm doing up in Africa Healing Foundation and also just passionate about, you know, really I'm an advocate for mental health everywhere. But what I'm, I'm, I'm there to kind of be that change, be that voice. But the only way it's going to happen is having this, you know, open conversations about what's happening um, having more and more dialogue around, you know, what does it mean to, you know, have a mental health problem? Um, what does I, what does mental health actually mean? Because I find that, you know, when I have these conversations, people don't really understand what mental health is. So it's really having those conversations and being honest about them. That you know, and being honest and admitting that, you know, I do struggle. I'm human. Um, um, you know, for me, I can I can say to you now, you know, some people will be listening, you know, uh, she's uh, the ignorant people will be, you know, she's she's doing all this. She's got a mental health. Um, she's a mental health lead and she's also got her own business in mindset. Uh, she's a mindset coach. Um, by the way, I'm also an author. She's a mom, um, a wife, 
personal trainer. So the thing is, people automatically think that, oh, she's doing all this. How is she, then why is she going through like depression? Why does she have those moments? People assume that you don't go through it. And I am here to tell you, people do go through it. And sometimes we have to be open and really talk about what's happening. And it's not even just me as a person, but even looking at the men, men go through their periods. But obviously with men, they're not allowed to talk about their feelings. We've made society, you know, society has made men not even want to even talk about what they're going through. And that has seen in actual fact that, you know, men are more likely to complete suicide than women. If those of you who don't know out there, yes. So, um, so it's understanding and being kind to each other and not learning how to talk to people. Um, I think we need, with everything that's going on, we need an environment and a society that is loving, that is kind, that is sending love and light everywhere and understand that we're all human beings and we do go through things. Things will trigger you. There's things that are gonna happen to you. My father passed away two years ago. I went into a two month, you know, full depressive state um, and that really broke me. So things like that, people could lose, people have lost their jobs during the pa pandemic. Mm -hmm. So yes, yeah, so it's really, the only thing we can do is keep making the noise keep having these conversations and just keep paving the way for people to come in and have these discussions around, you know, lived experiences. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned about men. Now, yesterday, I was on a radio show with a guy from the US talking about men's mental health. How can we break that stigma? Because at times with men, it seems as if it's impenetrable because of all of the stereotypes that a man is supposed to be X, Y, Z. Do we need to be more creative in terms of how we offer therapy to men? So, for, for example, if you advertise it in the same way as you advertise it to a woman, a man's probably not going to go anywhere near it because he's just going to be thinking, what do I want to sit in a room just talking about feelings? Do you kind of mix it up and say, well, you do a boxing session for 30, 40 minutes, so you've worked out and you've done something good and then you sit down with that boxing class and talk about your feelings and your mental health? Do we need to start thinking outside the box in terms of getting men to engage and be in touch with their emotions and feelings? Yes, definitely. We need to think outside the box. And um, it's, it's something, first of all, I think this whole scenario of, you know, getting men into a room, it's very difficult, first of all, to get them to open up it's first of all, understanding what drives a man, like what are they passionate about? Rather than just going straight into just talking about what it is that they're going through, get to know them as a person, you know, what is like, for me, it's, you know, when I've worked with uh, men, it's, I, I, I don't stand off, I don't start from the point of, you know, what's going on with you, what's happening. I get to know, um, this is something my husband taught me. And I get to ask what they like doing. Um, 
maybe it's watching um i'll give an example of uh, one young person that i spoke to and he was a man and he said you know we sat down i was like you know what do you like doing and he was telling me oh, i like movies and blah 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 he spoke to me and he, he he talked about his hobbies and whatnot and i actually made up a, a note down <laughs> so i went to watch some of the movies <laughs> that he had watched so by the time i came back in like having the session with him it it now he was more open so we spoke about the movie and like what I liked and what he liked and you know from there and then it kind of first of all it 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 was able to build that trust and it was able to not just he could see that you know I'm not there to kind of I'm not there to cause harm but I'm there to help and it built that trust and that rapport and uh, I've spoken to so many men and one thing they say to me is you know they've cried you know, even just when they're talking to me, I've seen men cry. I've had them, you know, I've had virtual calls where, you know, they, they've actually broke down. Some of them have never broken down. Some of them have lost parents and have didn't have time to grieve. And that was the first time they're actually breaking down in front of me. So it's really setting the scene for them and allowing them to go at their own pace, first of all. And also, I think that what you spoke about boxing what do they what do men like men like race cars f1 um they like doing boxing going to the gym having sessions i think one of the things is one like um i've seen the football clubs are starting to do that which is really good um i think the gyms also having like a men's thing in session um just a space for men to kind of let it out and just be able to feel safe um so definitely um, innovative thinking needs to um, needs to come into play. I know us at um, Africa Healing Foundation, we actually, um, some of the ways that we are doing this is we are getting more men to come and talk about lived experiences. And we've put some videos up in our pages, um, Africa Healing Foundation page. And we've also, um, we've also got a platform now where we're doing an anti-stigma campaign and there will be men coming to tell their stories, their lived experiences, so people can hear some of the stories. And we're also going to be doing this through films, but it's really opening up that conversation for men to feel safe and you know, cater things more around them because I think it's a high time that they are in the spotlight um, because that's one of the things that was lacking. Um, now, before we get to the fun question at the end, what would your future vision be as to how mental health is perceived around the world? Oh, well, oh that's a nice question. <laughs> I think the future, the future vision for me was I think nobody dying from suicide. I think anything but that. And communities where we're lifting each other up, um, communities where we are having open conversations about what's really happening, um, communities where mental health is accessible to everyone. Um, We are coming to a digital age so it's opening up those um, those platforms for for where 
someone in, let's say I'm from Kenya, someone from Kenya connects with someone from maybe India or somewhere in America to have that support system. So where, you know, men, you know mental health is accessible anywhere, um, a community or just services where we're not so focused on the budget, but we actually innovate to, to, to get the budget working for every individual. Um, I think also where there's this thing, I think I'm, I'm very against thresholds. Um, reason being, I think everyone experiences mental health differently. So I think mental health, people should have access to mental health, depending, doesn't matter what they're going through, they should have access to it. I should not be at the, at the you know, at rock bottom, you know, crisis point for people to pay attention. So I think it's, you know, it's, for me, that's what it looks like. Just everyone to have access to mental health services and everyone to be open around mental health conversations and that we're no longer, um, we're no longer hiding behind masks and what is actually really happening and being open to confidently talk about what's happening. That's what mental health looks like to me. I absolutely agree, Eve. And if people want to get in touch with you after listening to this podcast, how can they reach out to you? So um, you can find me on africahealingfoundation.org. Um, That's www.africahealingfoundation.org. That's our website. Um, if you um, just go contact us for the attention of Eve Mapanda, then I will get your email. Or you can follow us on Instagram, where Africa Healing underscore. We're also on Facebook, Africa Healing underscore. Oh, if you just want some mindset coaching, <laughs> I am on <laughs> Mentally Move <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> oh, you'll find me. Just Google my name, Eve Mapanda. You'll find me. <laughs> and the uh, fun question. So I'm going to ask you a different one to what we asked Gary. So we asked Gary about what his superpower would be and why. Your question will be, if a movie director approached you to make a movie about your life, who would you want to play you and why? Oh, Dave, you know what? Oh, my days. First of all, the movie director that I would want to approach me and I am putting it out there, <laughs> manifesting it. Tyler Perry, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> so it would be Tyler Perry who would come and ask me to be, do you know who I would want to play? You know, um, Oprah. Because I always say I'm going to meet Oprah one day. Her story, like what she's been through and yeah. just being, you know, the, the resilience in her. It's like everything that kind of just, I see my story in her or rather the other way around. But it's how she's still come out on top after everything. And, you know, she had big dreams, big visions, and she still against all odds made it you know she made it she made it possible 
and that's where I'm heading. So definitely, I have put it out there. So universe, <laughs> I'll be back in this. Maybe I'll be back telling you how I was, you know, how they got me on the set. So. <laughs> Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's been a delight. It's oh, been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm sure the listeners will have found it very insightful. So thank you for being a guest, Eve. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, you know, all through LinkedIn. <laughs> so thank you. Um, I've really enjoyed this. And I hope, you know, people have taken away something from this. And just remember to, uh, you know, I'm sending you all love and light and just remember to be kind to each other. Thank you.